we're starting a new sermon series. Um, the title is, is Big Problems, Bigger God? I think it's appropriate um, right now. I was listening to a podcast by a pastor named Charles Jr. Um, he has a podcast that's just for pastors. And uh, he, the title of one of his podcasts was um, Preaching During a Pandemic. I found that kind of interesting. I thought, you know, I kind of want to get his perspective on that. And so one of the times I think I was driving back from Billings, I listened to the sermon. And he just had some advice for pastors about how to preach during a pandemic. And one of the things that he said was, is, is preach the big God passages of the Bible. He didn't tell us which ones those were, but Daniel immediately popped into my mind. And uh, so we're going to have a series, um, Big Problems, Bigger God, um, but we're going to walk through some of Daniel um, over the next number of weeks. Today I want to talk about what does it look like for us to hold on to our convictions in the world that we live in. This past week, Rabbi Zacharias passed away. If you haven't heard of Rabbi Zacharias, he uh, he was just an incredible man. During his lifetime, he traveled to over 70 countries, and he wrote more than 70 books. One of the interesting things about his life is, is that he actually became a committed Christian at 17 years old after a suicide attempt. When recovering, he came across John 14, 19. He's from India, by the way. And he came across John 14, 19. Because I live, you also will live. And he held on to that verse and he started reading scripture. Earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And that became the cornerstone of his life. He spent the rest of his life um, learning about scripture and communicating scripture and ultimately defending uh, scripture and giving a Christian viewpoint on scripture in a culture that, you know, a culture that by, by and large rejects um, Christian beliefs. And, uh, and for, the last, um, for the last 50 plus years, um, he's um, spent his life um, talking about the truths of Scripture in the public square. It's so important for us to have um, individuals who defend the truths of Christianity. And that's more and more needful all the time. And in 2013, Rabbi Zacharias was in Washington, D.C. He had actually visited the White House and spoke at the White House. He visited the Pentagon, spoke at the Pentagon. Um, and then he, um, he um, spoke at a number of other places. And one of those places where he spoke, he, um, he was reflecting on the fact that the top three, three of the top um, best-selling books at the time were written by new atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and others. Very antagonistic towards Christianity. Rabbi Zacharias, um, he's a scholar. He, he was an honorary senior research lecturer at Oxford University. He spoke at Oxford at least three times a year. That's the same university that Richard Dawkins was a professor at. At the time, Richard Dawkins, this same time, Richard Dawkins was actually advocating for a policy, and this was published in the university newsletter. He was advocating that anyone who believed in a creator and designer would not be admitted to the university. His argument was, is that by admitting them to the university, the university would be depriving truly intellectual people of a seat by bringing in lamed-brained fairy tale believing people. The irony is that Oxford was founded under the motto, the Lord is my light. 
Virtually all of the best universities in the United States were founded by Christians. Christians in many ways founded the modern education system that we have today. Christians promoted education in every place where it was planted. And they funded the education system long before government involvement. And the reason why is is because as Christians, we have a written word. And we want people to be able to read the Word of God in whatever language they're going to be reading it in. And so that value is so strong in the heart of Christianity that we believe that every person should be able to not only read, they should be able to write, and they should be able to have access to the Word of God. And so Christians throughout history have taught people how to read regardless of whether they're Christian or not. But what the idea is, is that once you can read and once you can write, then you can read the Word of God and you can also articulate it. And so it was Christians that that founded the education system. In fact, it started with Sunday schools in a lot of ways, particularly in Europe, is is there was some education for wealthy people, um, but even that was uh, built on a Christian basis. But Christians started taking orphans off the streets and teaching them. Sunday school was as much about teaching reading and writing as it was about teaching the Bible. And so they took those that couldn't afford education and gave them an education. And yet today we have an education system that in a large part is dismissive of the very group that helped build the education system. Dawkins' words are revealing, they're also somewhat revealing of the world that, we, world that we find ourselves in as Christians. And we have to think about what it looks like to live in a world that is increasingly complicated and increasingly chaotic. If you haven't noticed, we're surrounded by big problems. We live in a highly politicized culture with worldviews that are increasingly distancing from each other. The United States and China are rattling sabers at each other. There are over seven significant conflicts in the Middle East right now. That's just in the Middle East. The coronavirus, which people at first thought might be an enemy that the world could rally against, increasingly is something that's dividing the world. Over 213 countries have infections. The most populated areas of society have been ravaged, and they are often making the decisions for the rest of us. We live in a complicated and complex world. There are big problems. It's easy to get overwhelmed right now. And we have to learn how to live in an environment where the Bible is increasingly sidelined. We have to live in an environment where the worldview of culture is increasingly antagonistic to followers of Christ and would have us would have us to give up our convictions and fit in. And this is where the Old Testament book of Daniel can help. Daniel's written for believers who are living in a chaotic world. We actually know that the opening words of Daniel come from 605 BC. I mean, just, uh, I mean, literally to a date right around that time. There were two world powers that had been in conflict with each other. And uh, they came into the biggest conflict at the Battle of Carchemish, 
where Egypt, which was the reigning power of the day, was defeated by Babylon. Carchemish was destroyed and Nebuchadnezzar became the most powerful man in the world. It was Nebuchadnezzar who would later go on to destroy Judah when Jehoiakim rebelled. And after defeating Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar brought Jerusalem into subjection and deported 10,000 captives to Babylon. Skeptics argued in the past that because the Bible was the only reference for these events, that they were a fairy tale. That was until 1956 when archaeologists found what is called the Babylonian Chronicle, which directly referenced the Battle of Carchemish, along with the events of that day and the leaders of that day. Interestingly, this area is still in incredible conflict. An article from Bloomberg Businessweek reported, very few archaeological sites seem as intertwined with conflict, ancient and modern, as the city of Carchemish, the scene of a battle mentioned in the Bible. It lies smack on the border between Turkey and Syria, where civil war rages today. Visible from crumbling earthen ramparts, a Syrian flag, rebel flag, flies in a town that regime forces fled just months ago. And uh, the person that I got that quote from said is, is that those ramparts might go back to the time of Daniel. In Psalm 137, 1 and verse 4, it talks about those exiles that had been in Judah that Nebuchadnezzar um, took, 10,000 of them, and deported them to Babylon. It says, By the rivers, rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? The book of Daniel is actually the answer to that question. Babylon would not have been an easy place for the exiles to live. Babylon offered a lot of temptations for the people of God. The temptation to make a new life. The temptation to assimilate into the new culture and to join the reigning power of the world. There were opportunities to make lots of money and to experience pleasures that were unthinkable in Judah. Interestingly, Daniel is more like all of you than like me. He was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He worked in the secular world. He was a government official. He didn't have a degree from a seminary. In fact, he had a degree from a secular university where he studied pagan thought and governing principles. Daniel reminds us that God is bigger than any chaos that's going on in our world. He shows us how a person who knows a big God can be loyal to God in a godless culture. And so we're going to be in Daniel for the next um, number of weeks. 
Um, we'll put the passages on the screen, but if you, um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. The ultimate humiliation of Judah was to have the articles from the temple there in Jerusalem, to have the temple plundered and to have everything taken out and taken to Babylon where those articles were placed in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian temple. It signified not just the defeat of a nation, but the defeat of a lesser God. It's the reason why um, when a king conquered an area, he would make sure to take everything that um, was important to that culture and would do what, um, what they could to humiliate whatever people they conquered. It was, it was the ultimate humiliation. Daniel 1, 3 through 7 goes on to say, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were entered into the king's um, service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Belteshazzar um, is an Akkadian name, and it's the shortened form of a name that was originally an invocation to the Babylonian god Marduk. And uh, it, it means guard his life. And so it's an invocation to Marduk, meaning Marduk, guard his life. The bestowal of a new name, there was a purpose in it is, is that it, it was intended to tell these captive nobles from Judah that you have a new destiny. Your old destiny is gone and you have a new destiny and it's all about Babylon. You have new names. You have a new identity. You have a new culture. You are to give up everything that you have ever known. And part of that was is to give up their faith and to live as Babylonians in Babylonian culture with Babylonian religious beliefs. The intent was to change their identity, to meld into Babylonian culture, philosophy, and thought. The irony is, is that during the whole story of Daniel, that it's not Marduk that guards Daniel's life and the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is God who guards their life. And the whole picture here is that, is that God is, is at work in the background. That it's God who protects them and encourages them and gives them wisdom to know how to live. And the things that we know as we read Daniel is, is that God is in control. You know, when we're singing that song, Waymaker, 
He's the way maker. He, 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 even when we can't see, God is in control. Like Daniel, we live in strange times. We live in a culture that often stands at odds with the Christian faith and even, and even the way that, uh, that we should live on an everyday basis. And, in, and like Daniel and friends, we all face temptation to sacrifice our convictions. Usually it's just a little tiny bit at a time. One decision at a time. We're faced with the temptation to sacrifice convictions. So Daniel 1, 8 through 10, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And if you don't think that that's true, Nebuchadnezzar was a brutal man when he went in to destroy Judah. He captured the king and the king's sons. The king's sons were teenagers. He had his sons killed in front of his very eyes. And then Nebuchadnezzar ordered that Jehoiakim's eyes would be gouged out so that the last thing that he would have ever seen was his sons dying and it would be his last visible memory. He was a brutal man. It says that Daniel resolved... He resolved. I spent some time looking that up, and it's, it's, it's you know, in, in English, it, it's the same as in Hebrew. It means to set, to establish, to found, to determine, to fix, to be set. He resolved. And the point is, is never abandon your commitment to God in order to get along with the world. And that's not easy. You know, our issues are not the same issues. It's, 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 not, it's not food laws. Is that, you know, the Old Testament people of God, they had these food laws. And, and these young men are saying, is, is, hey, we want, we want to honor God. You know, for us, it's not the same thing. But there are lots of things where we are challenged to sacrifice our convictions also. Right before um, I came up, during the first service, I remembered a time 20-some years ago, um, Kim had spent years um, working on uh, a certification in Montessori education, and um, when it came time to graduate, uh, she got asked to do the benediction at the graduation, and, um, and they gave her the benediction, and she read it and said, I can't do this. I can't say this. And I can't remember what was in that benediction, but it wasn't God honoring. It was very new age. Very, um, very universalist. Um, if I remember correctly, it focused on probably more of God being creation rather than the creator being God. And she had to tell them, 
I can't do this. And I had to hand that benediction back. And how hard that was. And yet it was very neat because they took it and they said, why don't you write your own benediction? And as likely the only ones that really had biblical convictions, she was able to give a benediction that honored God. We have had those kinds of things happen over and over again in life. Where we were tempted to just, you know, just let this one go. But you let one go and you end up letting a lot go. Never abandon your convictions. Daniel 1, 11 and following says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away all of their choice food and wine. They were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Such an interesting um, passage. You know, one commentator there I was reading said that the lines are not always clear. But Christians need to recognize the difference between what the Bible says and the values that are esteemed by the world. This, most people would say this was a small issue. And yet small issues aren't small issues. It's so important that Christians today, that we, that we have those lines that we say that we will not cross. That we... And that we truly, that we truly, we read Scripture and we say is, is we're going to live according to Scripture. That we're going to follow the Bible and that we're going to do it in a very clear way, not necessarily an argumentative way, yet I would say is, is it rather in a winsome way. And what that means is, is that Christians need to be more articulate than the rest of culture. We need to be more clear. We need to have great understanding and great wisdom. We need to pray that God would give us the ability to be able to have a voice in culture not an arguing voice, but a winsome voice. What that means is, is that we can know the word of God and we can defend the word of God and that we can do it with a smile. That we can disagree without first and foremost being disagreeable. But that we get our values from the Bible. And that we honor God in his word in every way. And that we, while being within culture, 
stand apart as distinct from culture. Some people have said that it's important for us to be countercultural. Rabbi Zacharias, um, he, in, in speaking about Daniel, he said Daniel had three lines. Daniel had a line of conviction. And then he had a line of dependence. And he had a line of confidence. And I would argue that the result was was blessing. Is it because of having very clear lines that there was blessing that came? Not a blessing that could come from the world, but rather a blessing that comes from God and from God only. Daniel 1, 17 and following, it says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all of the musicians and the enchanters in his whole kingdom. That they, they paid attention to the lines, and because they paid attention to the lines, and because they honored God in every area of life, while living in a pagan environment, while living in a pagan culture, there was blessing. And when you think about this, is that those lines, those, those, we're going to honor God regardless of the pressure that we're under. Because there's this, uh, in a little while we're going to sing a song, but there, there's this firm belief that without God, we are nothing. It would be better to lose our lives than to lose our God. Because without him, we are nothing. And Daniel drew a line of confidence. And I believe that because there was this line of confidence in him and in his friends, that not only were their lives changed, but the lives of everyone around them. And it's interesting because three kings in a row came into power. And all of the time, Daniel and friends were, were tempted to be drawn towards the worldview of the kings and the people. But instead, and you'll find this as we go through this, this series, is those kings were drawn to Daniel and friends. They never crossed the line. It was others who had to cross over towards them. Rabbi Zacharias was in Mumbai shortly after the terrorist attacks on the Taj Hotel. And Jay uh, Pravacek and I 
um, were there in Mumbai about a month after that terrorist attack or a few months after that terrorist attack. Um, it's really surreal to be um, in those environments and uh, to know the extent to which violence is affecting our world. He was there in Mumbai by invitation, um, speaking at a conference on terrorism. He was the only Christian there. And during the closing words, they asked um, him to give his view of terrorism and essentially is this, how can God um, be at work in such a terrible world? And he, he said, I want to leave you with a simple thought. The Christian faith is the only faith, faith that has a bloodied Savior as the centerpiece of its hope. He said, I want to tell you the story of a man who was bloodied not far from where you and I are standing at the Taj Hotel here in Mumbai, where terrorists from Pakistan broke into the Taj. One of the survivors dove for cover. A few days after the attack, he was interviewed. He said the murderer was coming towards us with his machine gun. He gunned everyone down. There was a pile of bodies everywhere around me. I knew the barrel of the gun was above me because the footsteps were that close. I didn't move. The attacker walked away. The interviewer asked, why do you think that he didn't kill you? The man said, the only thing that I can think of is is that I was so covered by the blood of everyone around me that he took me for dead and walked away. Rabbi Zacharias said, ladies and gentlemen, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. You may come from a different faith, but let me tell you this. There's the blood of the one that is offered to cover you and me. And when we are covered by his blood, hate is blunted and life thrives. Much later he wrote, sometimes I think about the cross. I shut my eyes and I try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus being crucified for me. But even if I could see him die, I would but see a little part of that great love, which like a fire is burning in his heart. He has us on his heart. He has you on his heart. And he keeps watch over his. We must draw line in the right lines in the right places. Lines of conviction. Lines of dependence. A line of confidence. And when those lines are drawn, he will bring us through, as Romans chapter 8 says, as more than conquerors. He has promised us that. Where neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, 
nor anything else can separate us from the love of God. I was thinking this morning just a little bit more about what this looks like. Um, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, God's angel comes to Daniel. The angel of God comes to Daniel and Michael says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. I thought that's, that's what we're being asked to do. Is it can't happen apart from Jesus. But, but we're called to be wise. And wisdom is something that can't come from a book. It comes from God and from God only. And of course, as we spend time in his book, we certainly gain his wisdom. But those who are wise will shine like the brightness of heaven. And you know, the truth is, is that there is no one who has ever been more wise than Jesus. No one who has ever lived a better life. No one who is greater and more good than Jesus. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 encouraged us, us to encourages us to have the same mindset, the same attitude as Jesus. Because there will be a day that every name, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as much as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, not work for, work out your salvation in your family setting, in your, in your work that you do, in your community, in your culture. Work out your salvation, live it out in every area of life. And to do it with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is always at work. Even when we can't see it and without him, we are nothing. And then he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor in vain. We're called to shine like stars in the heaven. Interestingly is, is that it's really the wisdom of God and Jesus that's shining through us when we have those lines, lines of conviction, dependence and confidence. Let's pray. The worship team is going to come and we'll close. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your word. Let us live according to it. Lord, help us to not only see the lines, but to live 
to live within those lines, to be a people of conviction, people who are wise, who can live good lives, and who can live your truth in every area of life, including a culture and cultures that don't know you. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and close in worship. Amen. Let's just take a posture of worship and just make this our closing prayer. So take these hands and lift them up. For I have not the strength to praise you near enough. See, I have nothing. I have nothing without mercy I have found for I have nothing I have nothing without you
my time here on this earth. Let it glorify all that you are worth. For I am nothing, I am nothing without you. Father God, I don't think any of us can say it better than the song that we just sang. Lord, thanks because even though we are nothing without you, you declare us to not only be something, but to have all of our purpose, to have all that you've planned for us in you and because of you. And so, Lord, may we live for you. Would you take our life and would you let it be just an act of worship to you? Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.